All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and we are joining you for another post-game edition. Georgetown just dropped its first game of 2021 to Marquette, 64-60, to in a game the Hoyas led by 16 at the half. Javon Blair led the Hoyas with 20 points in an unusual role for this season off the bench. The Hoyas dropped to three and six, one and four in the Big East. And I'm here with, you will remember, NY Hoya. And I'll first time, Kente Corner, welcome to Marcus Washington from Making the Cut. NY, first impressions. I really enjoyed Pete Gillen's color commentary. It was the closest thing that Biddle Raftery I've heard in a very long time. And I know that Pete's been doing the color for a long time, but I thought, this game, he really brought his A game. Um, he said things like, Patrick Ewing is one of the greatest of all time, including those who are dead, alive, or not even born yet. He said Theo John had muscles on top of his muscles. He said he wasn't, he's never been the sharpest knife in the drawer. He's not even in the drawer. Uh, and then finally, my personal favorite, he said that he was second team all ACC conference for being the sweatiest coach and that he lost the 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 title to Gary Williams. I really appreciated his effort, um, and I'd prefer to talk about that than than the way we played today. Marcus, did anything Pete Gillen really stick with you? I'll say real quick, as someone that has to transcribe, I would hate to have to cover him a season because it'd kind of be like Calhoun a little bit. It's really tough to type as he's speaking. Yeah. I- I loved all the isms and all the little anecdotes that he had. Um, it helped take away from what was happening on the floor for Georgetown. But he's famous for his, you know, Duke is Duke. They're on TV more than leave it to Beaver. So I'm always mm-hmm. ready to listen to him on TV. So, guys, Georgetown, obviously, they were up 18 at one point. They were up 16 at the half. We'd seen this – against, albeit, a much better team, we think, in Mar- in um, Villanova earlier in the year where they were up 13 at the half and they lost going away. This is a different kind of game, but it was a little bit in the same where, you know, I don't know if it's how much credit Georgetown's defense gets for Marquette's first-half performance or how much blame Marquette's offense gets, but, you know, they shot 26%, 18% from three. You knew they were going to turn it around. I guess we could start again with NY. Did you ever feel comfortable or what would it have taken for you to feel comfortable besides the game ending? I never felt comfortable. 16 up 16 at the half up 10 with about eight minutes to go up one with, I guess, less than a minute to go. I never felt comfortable in part because we've, we've sort of come to expect this in the last few years. Uh, it, It happened to us with, against Butler, against Syracuse, against Xavier. There have been a number of instances in which we've seen the same thing happen. And and the most frustrating thing for me is really, you know, look, I I thought we played well uh, defensively for the the most part in the first half. Marquette missed a lot of shots, but they had the wrong guys taking the shots. And we brought a lot of defensive pressure. We were good in the paint. It was Marquette's fault for not trying to draw contact, for not trying to get the ball inside. And when they did, our guys were effective. Uh, the thing that really gets at me, though, is just the lack of basketball awareness. It, do, it didn't matter what the score was, what 
how much time there was left in the game, there were too many possessions where we would have one person dribbling the ball up the court and taking a contested long perimeter shot. And so for me, the most disappointing aspect of this game was just look at the number of the free, number of free throws, particularly in the second half. Marquette was able to get the ball down low in the paint and get to the line, and, and we didn't. Uh, and teams that are up 18 in the second half should just continue to get the ball down low, draw contact, get to the line, nurse that lead, and milk the clock. We never had any concept of that in the second half. Marcus, you're currently back in the coaching game in Northern Virginia. Using So switching from media to coaching, what was the most frustrating thing that Georgetown was failing at tonight? And what do you think, and it, it might be the same, it might not, what do you think is the most correctable thing given their talent? I think that the most frustrating thing is they still insist on being a four-out one end team, which I just do not understand. I know they're trying to get room to Wahab and getting the ball inside, and they did that plenty tonight. But what ends up happening is the offense gets so stagnated because those other guys are not doing anything. There's no action off of the weak side. There's no screening. There's no, you know, movement to exploit mismatches. That's what frustrates me the most. And probably the most correctable thing right now, and I would say, is Ewing's rotations. One of the things that bother me is I think these young guys like Jamar Sibley, I thought did decent in the time that he was in. Those guys are not being mixed in with the veterans enough. And when the meltdown happened in the second half, it was all veterans out there. Kerry had two abysmal turnovers. Pickett was, was borderline useless out there today. So I think that one of the things Ewan could afford to do is trust the young guys a little bit more, mix them in with the vets a little bit more, and maybe down the stretch you don't have to play Blair 37 minutes. Let me just let me just take you back off of one of Marcus's points with, with the young guys because yeah. I actually think that the meltdown happened. It, it was a combination of there was a stretch when we were up by 10, a little bit more, and we had a rotation of Blair and and a few of the young guys and Chudy in at the same time. I, I want to see these guys more often. I just want to see them in positions where they can succeed. And to have Blair, to have a lineup where I think it was Blair, Dante Burger. Harris, Berger, uh, Jamari Sibley, Chudy Bile, yeah. it didn't make any sense. And and these guys, and I say this as like Sibley played well. Sibley had a had a good game. Um, and I just I want to see these guys in positions where they can succeed. And I didn't think that was. I didn't. I didn't think that was good. And I'm sorry. And Ego Fe was in the game too. It wasn't even Wahab. So having those guys in there and sort of like the B lineup was was not putting those guys in a position where they could succeed. And that was and that was disappointing. And that's when things started slipping away. And as soon as we made the big subs, you know, we didn't we, we didn't really get that much better. But Kobe Clark too. Kobe Clark started the game yes. and didn't see the floor thereafter, which was which was mysterious to me. I mean, we we like his energy. We like his defense. We like what he brings to the floor. And we just didn't see much of him after the first few minutes. So obviously it's a home game. It's at McDonough, but no one's there. Marcus and I would have normally been there. I'm trying to get ready for the game. I'm trying to finish the whole dinner with the family. The toddler needs a bath. All these things are happening. And I look at my phone and I'm getting questions. Why isn't Javon Blair playing? And I'm like, Jesus, I got to, okay, I got to try and figure this out. 
so I, you know, I put CBS Sports on. They're talking about Javon Blair. Javon Blair is warming up. But if you go to Stats Broadcast, which is what everybody would use in the media, but it's open. Some people have it password protected, and usually it's like something like whatever the mascot's name is. It's the Red Storm or it's, it's the Wildcats, whatever. So you go to that, and it's got, sure enough, Blair's not starting. Kobe Clark is. I'm going to be honest. I didn't tweet about it because I've been burned by either the scoreboard in the arena being incorrect or stat broadcast being incorrect. It just seemed kind of weird for me. And you guys can tell me you could start with you, Marcus, but what's going on. Okay. Obviously Javon Blair probably did some stupid thing. Coach wouldn't talk about it afterwards. I would have bet my next paycheck. He wasn't going to tell us why specifically he didn't start, but what are you doing playing Clark? It's not the same position. Clark doesn't go back in. If you told me, hey, you know what, we're going to sit Blair for a second, you put TJ Berger out there, who I think plays the same position, that makes a little sense to me. So the game starts really disjointed with a group that probably doesn't ever play together. They have five turnovers in the first two minutes. I know it didn't affect them by halftime. They're winning by such a large margin. But didn't that doesn't that just kind of – that's just like what Georgetown is right now. It's like chaos. Yeah, it was a strange decision on who they put in. And Clark's another guy I would like to see more, obviously, in a more um, comforting situation of what they did with them tonight. But I don't understand what's going on with suspensions and people not playing. And like yourself, yes, that broadcast has been wrong. Uh, the arena has been wrong before, so you're always apprehensive. And Ewing was never going to say why. But with that being said, you have to ask yourself the question, over the last season or so, year or so, all the transfers, then the suspensions, then the guys not starting and everything else, what is happening within this program that is uh, causing players not to be uh, performing the way they should be performing, whether it's on the court or off the court, and how can Ewing get a hold of what's going on? Or NY Hoya, what was your take when you realized what was going on with Blair? I, I mean, I mean, you're you're right that it's not a like for like substitution at the start of the game. I don't care. It doesn't that doesn't bother me. I, I'm I'm fine with disciplining <laughs> players. I don't I don't I don't even care what the reason is. And 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 you're right. We got off to a disjointed start. But whether or not Blair is in the game, we shouldn't have five turnovers and one shot on the first six possessions. So that that's got nothing to do with Blair not being in the game. That's just you know not making smart decisions. Um, and that, that I think is more on the players, but I mean, at the, at the same time, to me, it just comes back to, we, we have never had the speed at which we play. Uh, it's always been as fast as possible. We've always played pickup games in the last few years, no matter what the score is, no matter what our lead is, no matter how much time is on the shot clock, it's always been that way. And that to me is the most frustrating aspect of all of this. It doesn't, and and we've got guys who are. You can chalk it up to freshmen and 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 transfers, but at the end of the day, Blair is a senior. Pickett is a senior. Don Carey has has played for a long time. By you know, Belay has played for a long time. These are not guys who should grab the ball up by twelve, with twenty five seconds on the shot clock and jack up a contested three you know, or, or try to force a, you know, a, 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 a tough pass uh, cross court. So like at some point, I don't know if it's on the, the staff or the players, but it's just frustrating that there's just no game awareness 
no basketball knowledge of what's going on. And it was extremely predictable that this was going to happen. That's what's most frustrating for me. Jamarco Pickett. I think I've been, I've always looked at him as someone that I thought if you squinted, you could see being in the NBA. The start to the Big East play is, it's, you're telling me Javon Blair got benched. We don't know what it was. Probably not basketball related, but Jamarco Pickett. I mean, they're just, they're just not going to win games when he's a complete passenger. Four points, two for seven, didn't make a three. I mean, he was leading the, the Big East in rebounding before today. He only had two rebounds. Where are you guys on Jamarco Pickett right now? No, I used to be one of his biggest fans and defenders, I'll be honest with you. But this season, it's been hard to be that way. When he isn't being hesitant, he's shooting a bunch of contested shots. A lot of times it's contested twos, which are very unnecessary. I don't understand why this offense can't be a little bit friendlier to his skill set. And like tonight, he struggled from three. He struggled from three in the perimeter for five games now. Isn't, isn't there something that you can run? Maybe put him in screen and roll more where he's diving to the basket. Maybe get him a post-up in action where you're trying to get a mismatch. There are ways that you can help him out. Instead, no one helps him out. He's never put in a position to succeed offensively. And then the, the explanation always is, well, he's doing other things great. And that's fine that he's doing other things great. But how this team is constructed, you need more of a contribution from him on the offensive end, and he's not being put in a position to succeed. So Jamarco has always been at his best when he's, you know, in rhythm, coming off a screen, hitting a jump shot, you know, just, just getting a pass and hitting a shot. I think what was unusual in this game is he was 0 for 4 from 3, and at least three, if not all four of those shots, were uncontested. He just happened to miss those shots. I'm not saying he was in rhythm, uh, but 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 he was open. That that's unusual for him. I mean, you would normally him you would normally expect him to hit at least a couple of those wide open shots. So in that respect, you know, he had an off night. That said, more broadly, you're right. When you have a senior who's who's getting four points in a game, you can't possibly expect to win. And even in the last few weeks where he's been so dominant on the boards and he didn't have one of those nights today, take that combined with his propensity for turning the ball over and you, you know you're in for a rough night. But I would love to see them try to, I agree, try to get to Marco the ball in a position where he can actually succeed. That said, he, he missed a lot of wide open shots today. And early on, he got going. He actually, he went to his left. He dribbled pretty you know i think it was from almost just inside the three-point line something i think on this podcast we've all agreed we'd prefer him not to put the ball on the floor that often he had a he had a layup that i think hit the very top of the of the backboard and you know got got some snow on it that's one of the what's one of the two shots he made man i mean obviously i'm sure no one's more frustrated than he is but that's just not you know you look at what sibley did and you, then, you know, you, you look at Clark only playing two minutes. And at some point, you know, I know everyone's all jazzed up about the recruits coming in and all that stuff. When do you start thinking and moving those minutes a little bit more in that direction? I know that when Jalen or, yeah, when Jalen first went out, 
we all agreed on this podcast. I think NYU were part of it that we'd like to see those minutes kind of maybe be about 50, 50 um, on, on new year's day. I asked Ewing and he said that he's been talking with Jalen that they've been trading text messages, but he used the language for the first time. He said, if, and when he comes back, I'm surprised that we were at this point so quick, but if Jalen Harris doesn't come back, how how big of a problem is that you think for the wins and losses this year, or are both of you guys past wins and losses for this year? And it's just about getting better for forward. I'm past wins and losses for this year. I think it is getting better forward and they have to address the point guard position without it being a transfer. At some point you have to bring in someone that you're willing to trust without recruiting and trying to find a quick fix at that position, just how college basketball is played today. And frankly, the turnover problem has been for years. I I wish it could be something this year. I wish it could be something just with Dante Harris being young, but that's not the case. This has been a theme for four years. The turnovers, the passes, that you don't know why you're throwing it. So my thing is, flip to the young guys. Get Berger and Sibley out there more. Get them uh, more quality minutes. Get them more minutes with the veterans and not just having three in at once. Mix it up. Sometimes you have to have a feel for the game while the game is going on. You cannot just continuously coach to, well, he usually makes it. Well, he usually does this. Well, he usually does that. You have to be able to adjust your game while it's going on, which is why I think pick is failing. And I'd hate to see the young guys go down that same path. So I would like to see them get the chance, learn, take them lumps now, along with this much ballyhooed uh, recruiting class coming in so you have a mesh point. Right now, you don't have a mesh point when all these guys leave. You have a bunch of young guys who've gotten eight minutes here, six minutes there, uh, some reason not to play them for two games here, and that's not going to help them. And then you're going to be starting over from ground zero yet again next year and and I just don't think this program can keep affording to do that. I I mean I completely agree with all of that. And look, if our offense next year is get the get the ball down low to Wahab or hope that one of our guards can just create on his own without any sort of structure, then we're going to be in for a long season regardless of how much talent we have. And and I agree. Like, look, I, I don't even I don't want to speculate on anything going on with Jalen Harris and 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 hopefully he's okay. Um, you know, look, it's, I, I, I like Dante Harris getting the minutes right now, even though it's clear that he is struggling at times, it's a good learning experience for him. I just want to see, I want to see production outside of that, that slot. And I know that's, that's easier said than done. You know, if, if, you know, I think in, in this game, Dante had five turnovers, so it's tough, but when Wahab gets the ball down low, Wahab has to look to pass more than just taking it up every single time. Um, Wahab is very good underneath the basket. If Wahab can improve his passing a little bit, if we can get another screen, if we can get weak side support, if we can get other guys moving, it'll be great. You know, Don Carey is at his best when he's taking wide open shots. Jamarco Pickett is at his best when he's taking wide open shots. Javon Blair is at his best when he's taking wide open shots. We've got to move the ball a lot more than we did in this game. In this game, we did not have a lot of wide open looks at all. And I thought even in the first half, 
Uh, and again, we were up by 16 in the first half, but a lot of the baskets we were getting were, you know, if it, if it wasn't Wahab down low, it was just sort of off the dribble and, and the ball just happened to go through the hoop. I didn't think we were really in any rhythm. I don't, I didn't think they came out of any sort of set pieces. And, and that's why I thought we were in trouble in the second half. Yeah. One of the reasons I never thought they were going to win this game is just because, and I got to find the spreadsheet. I ended up doing it again. They don't win low scoring biggies games. So the lowest point total they've had in a win since Ewing's been there in, in his first year, 69 was enough to beat St. John's. That's their only big East win. That was fewer than 73. And there's not like a ton of those. I mean, okay. He today, he dropped to in big East play big East regular season play. He's 20 and 39. Okay. Obviously not a great record, but those 20 wins, they, they take a lot of points to get there. And I know, you know, rosters change and, you know, the opponents change, but you know, you kind of get to four years, three and a half years of data points. And that's kind of the way it goes. Like they don't win a game 64, 60. It's just not what they do because they can't get stops. Uh, Marcus, I think you were on, you were on the call. It went kind of quick. I actually, I hit the wrong link and I was on the Marquette call and I was like, God, where, where's everybody else? Like, where's, where's Marcus? Where's, where's Kareem? Where's Ron? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, there's another, there's another zoom. So I hop over the Georgetown one just when I was about to start, but I did ask him because in the past we keep asking questions. At least I do about three point defense. And he kind of says things to me that are confusing where he says, well, we want, we want everyone to sag and help in the middle, but they also have to get out to the three point line, which he knows way more about basketball than I do. That's there's no question, but I don't think that that's something that guys can do. And I think getting a three pointer against Georgetown is kind of one of the easier things to do in the Big East. And it happened. And, you know, the ball got in. Carey sagged off his man. Kane was wide open. I asked him about it. Ewing, I didn't expect him to just put all the blame on the player, but I kind of wanted him to, because he said in the past, I want them to sag. And he didn't say that tonight. Marcus, what do you think about what went wrong on that on that play? Well, again, I think it's a situation of overhelping, especially yeah. in today's college basketball when it comes to the corner three and this, you cannot help in that deep. And especially when you have so much size and length inside, why not wall off inside? Why are you pinching from the corner in a late game situation against players who can make that shot and routinely make that shot? And again, this goes back to some of the discussions I've had in the earlier games of what is Georgetown trying to do? Are they trying to run guys off the line? Yeah. into help. How are they scheming this? Sagging and just hoping guys miss three-pointers. You guys know this, and today's basketball is not the way to go. That is the quickest way to lose games because of how the three-point shot is shot today. So, you know, some of the calls that I know some college coaches use that some high school coaches use as you label players. Is that player a Rondo? Is that player an Allen? And then you have schemes based on what that player is. So if he's a Rondo, yes, you do pinch in. If he's an Allen, no, you don't pinch in. There's never a universal way of playing it. So when, um, when Coach has answered your questions, Bobby, with that, with this universal way of playing things, I'm sort of wondering what's going on there. Why are you playing everyone in a universal fashion? Yeah. Because you shouldn't be doing that. 
it's also we've got who's going to beat us down low on Marquette when Wahab or Ego FA or even Pickett is guarding them? Seriously. Is it going to be Theo John? Theo John is a big guy with not much of an offensive skill set. So, you know, are, are we concerned that we're going to beat that? We're going to get beat down low one-on-one Theo John against Wahab. There's no reason to sag. There's no reason to help. You know, just make sure you're guarding your man and you're not allowing guys to get wide open. And then it, it goes the other way too. You know, Wahab is a threat down low and Marquette did a good job of helping against him. And when they help, He's got to find guys like Blair and Carey who are going to be wide open for open looks. Those guys were never open. Uh, you know, Blair and Carey did not take a lot of wide open looks in this game. Uh, Blair hit a number of shots. He had a he had a you know a decent game. He also took a lot of shots and he took a lot of bad shots. And you know, I don't I don't think Carey took any wide open looks in this game. So we got to figure out a way. Like if we're going to insist on throwing the ball inside we got to find a way to get it back outside, as Marquette did at times in this game. And the other thing is, look, Marquette only scored 20 points in the first half. Whether that was because of our defense or because they missed a lot of shots, it was probably a combination of both. But Marquette scored 44 points in the second half. How many times in the last few years is Georgetown going to allow, you know, 44, 50 points uh, being scored in a half. It, this is not the first time it's happened. This is probably the 18th time it's happened. And it's, it's, it's tough because to go from 20 points in one half to 44 in the second half, if we allow them to score 30 points, 35 points, 40 points, we win this game. And it's it just, this is, this is the same old story time and time again. Just to go back to that final dagger three that Kane hit, Georgetown's down one. The, when they hit the three, the game was over. Like, you you can't give up a three on that possession. Even if you give up a two, a contested two, you still have, they can play the foul game, whatever, but you're still alive. Like, when that shot went in, that was it. That that was it. And I just, I just can't, I was sitting there, I was like, they're going to get a wide open three, and they're going to get a wide open three. And then he did, and I, I unplugged my laptop. I walked back up into, into my office, you know, so I could do the Zoom call and do the podcast. You just you just know it's coming, and I don't know. You knew this was coming, and I'm not sure that there's a way with the current group to stop it. And by group, I don't mean necessarily just the players. I guess the good news, Butler on Wednesday, Georgetown, I believe, is 5-1 and one in Hinkle Fieldhouse. I... <laughs> If you're trying to find a, if you're trying to find a bright spot, um, this is one of the games you have. This is one of the games you have to win. This is one of the games you have to win, especially in a round robin season. Um, I mean, look at our record, and we've played almost all of our games at home, so that's not that's not great. This is this has happened before against Marquette too, where we've blown big leads. I'm not even going to, to me, I don't want to focus on that last three, the, the last wide open three. It's not that I expected it to happen. You just, you don't want, you want to give up a contested shot in that situation. You don't want to have a guy wide open uh, as, as one of their best players was very late in the game. So that, that, that's the issue, but I don't want to, I don't want to focus on that because at the end of the day, we blew a 16-point lead at halftime, a 10-point lead with eight minutes to go. You, you can't at home. 
and we, and I know we don't have a crowd. It's it's different, but you can't continue to do this sort of team, this sort of thing, whether you're at home or on the road, and expect to and expect to to win. So, There's... I mean, this this is a game we should have won, and we just didn't. There's something that I need to start tracking, but I believe this was a career high for Kane. Um, I don't know what he did earlier in the week, if they had a game or not. But basically, there's been a theme recently. You know, you play Georgetown, you get the biggest player of the week. I believe Miles Miles Kale was the that was his career high. I think it was career high for Roden. I think Kale was player of the week. Roden was on the Big East honor roll. I think that I'm not sure. You know, I have people flooding my timeline on Twitter, and why I know you're not big about Twitter, Marcus. I know you're on there you know, saying things like they'd rather lose by more and play the young guys than, I guess, I forget what the lead was against West Virginia, but I know that they were obviously winning in that game as well. Maybe more more clear rotations. Well, I think for me, it's what they're running on offense. And I don't want to just completely keep concentrating on their offense because defensively, they've been woeful at times. But offensively... At times? You mean like the last five years? Right. (laughs) I mean, but offensively i don't think they have a um a strategy a playbook that fits what they have now i think their playbook fits one or two guys but i don't think that it's a cohesive playbook that fits this roster and i think that's where my frustration is because in the past there was more um off ball screens there was more movement there was more creativity and now it's going to four out, one in. Let's try to throw it in. Let's hope that Wahab does something. Please don't make a shoot jump shot because we're not good decision makers. That's what it's become. I just don't know how we've gotten to that point. How have we gotten from at least there being some sort of creativity, some sort of weak side action to get guys in motion, to move defenses to so much stagnation? And, and it's frustrating to watch. Because this is what happens when you're stagnant. You have a big lead because you're right. You probably made some shots that you shouldn't make. Marquette took some some bad shots and made some poor decisions. But you know it's not sustainable because there is no rhythm. It's herky-jerky. It's just just not the way basketball is played amongst the the top organizations and the top schools. And so to see it here, it looks like – I mean – I don't know. It looks like 1990s NBA. Yeah, I still struggle when they – this is not to pick on Ego F.A. because I think he's improved. I thought last year when he had to play, he was better and more further developed than I thought he would be. And I think that he's definitely a serviceable college player. I think that when they play – or I think that when Wahab catches a breather, I wouldn't put a center back in the game. Oh, and by the way, on Friday, Patrick talked about <laughs> – how well Malcolm Wilson was playing in practice and how he was earning minutes. Malcolm Wilson did not play today. So I'm not really sure what's going on. No. Yeah. I noticed that he was the, the dreaded, you know, DMP CD. And you're right. I, I thought he was going to play today. And again, you have three centers with similar skill sets, similar limitations. And you're right. Um, There have been times this season where Georgetown has gone to kind of a pseudo small lineup in, in spurts that have been, you know, they have been effective. And tonight probably would have been one of the nights where you could have gotten away with it from TV timeout to TV timeout or maybe half of that TV timeout 
try to do it, and it wasn't even tried. I just think, again, I think there needs to be more creativity. I'm not saying play the young guys for 35 minutes. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that you have to start developing some sort of trust factor, and you have to start learning what you really have, and I get it. A lot of that's done in practice. You hear coaches say that all the time. But the truth of the matter is is that there has to be some sort of transfer to games, and you have to learn what they're like in game situations. Now, I just don't think that there's enough known, even though there's, to me, been enough opportunity to get known for the young guys. So maybe that's a great time to go out and to go small. Maybe go 2-2-1 press since that seems to be the end thing in college basketball. Everyone going to the 2-2-1, three-quarters, full-court press. Maybe you start to do those things for three-minute stretches. No one's asking you for the 40 minutes of hell of Arkansas of the 90s, but just a change of pace, throw teams off, make them think a little bit. I don't see that creativity. I think that's the problem on offense. I think that's the problem on defense. Yeah, I think our offense and defense never changed throughout the game. And what was interesting is there was, you know, five minutes left in the game, and I think as Marquette was eating into our lead, uh, we kept hearing, you know, Georgetown's got to call a timeout. We had one timeout left in the game. Yeah. So it didn't make sense to call a timeout and burn that last timeout at any point in the last five, seven, eight minutes because we had already used three timeouts. A couple of those timeouts came right before TV timeouts. And, and uh, you know, I get it. I just, I, to me, Kobe Clark, for example, is a good defensive player. Let's see what he can do against guys like McEwen and Kane. Um, let's see what some of these other guys can do on both sides of the court. Uh, and it, it's 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 tough. You got to put these guys in positions where they can succeed. And I, I also understand that. Look, at the end of the day, when you've got a significant lead, you know you you it's hard to blame the staff when. Guys like Blair and Belay uh, and and others are taking deep jump shots very early in the shot clock. But at the same time, if guys are taking deep jump shots very very early in the shot clock when we're up by 15 points, they should not be in the game. I mean, that that's the sort of thing where you've you've got to identify that. That was hugely problematic throughout. And sometimes we hit those shots. You know, Belay hit one of those shots. Blair got fouled on one of those threes and hit all all free all three free throws, but you know we we got lucky more than we were effective for the first three quarters of this game. And when things finally caught up to us, we didn't switch to a press, we didn't switch to a new defense, we didn't change our offense. It was just you know try to get it down low to Wahab, see if Dante can do something off the dribble, and when we turn the ball over. Or, you know, Wahab couldn't score. That's that's all we had, other than, you know, Blair trying to jack up a contested shot, and that's not that's not good enough. Yeah, and Ewing actually took him out there late and talked with you know the camera focused on it and put Berger in and put Blair back in. But just you know, I'm sure Ewing said something similar. What in the hell are you doing taking a 30 footer with 20 seconds on the shot clock? And why I know that. You're not on Twitter. Maybe you're a lurker, but I know that you're not an active Twitter Twitter uh, follower. It was 39-28 Georgetown with about 15 minutes left. 
Georgetown had a three on zero fast break with Don Carey bringing it up the left side. Instead of taking it in, and uh, Wahab is in the middle, instead of taking it in, he ends up passing it off to Blair. And somebody from Marquette, I can't remember who it was, ran back and got a crazy block. Ended up, I think, almost touching the wall at McDonough that used to have the NBA jerseys on it. I said at the time, I said, you know, file this away for later if the game gets close. I feel like that kind of that kind of just sums up the season so far, maybe. Just Georgetown has been really close for some really good teams. You know, Gillen, your guy, wouldn't shut up about the fact that Marquette had beaten um, Creighton and Wisconsin, which are tr- two, two great, great victories. But there was also a Wahab missed dunk in the second half. Am I forgetting any just painful plays that would have made this made, made the difference down the stretch look that that one play was a great play by McEwen and McEwen we had a three on zero yeah. fast break and unfortunately nobody identified that there was a man coming from behind otherwise we should have had a dunk and we were either up 11 or 13 and we missed an easy two and then we didn't score in that possession and Marquette did so I you know, it it was. I don't want to say it was a turning point in the game, but it was a it was a boneheaded play in the game, and there were a number of boneheaded plays throughout this game, and that it's, that that's that's a that's been a consistent for for a long period of time. We just got to make sure we have. You know, we our offense has to be a lot more fluid. Our defense has to be a lot more aware of who's who's going to be shooting the ball, and 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 that's it. It seemed like Dante Harris right at the end of the game had a chance. He his numbers weren't eye popping or anything, but there was two plays back to back where he went to the hoop and he scored, and then there was kind of like it was a little bit of a semi transition play where he caught Wahab for a wide open dunk, and George, that was Georgetown's last lead. I believe Ewing said it, you know, I asked Ewing what was the difference and, you know, it's quote is kind of, kind of reads like a bad, a bad country song. What did he say here? He said, bad, bad shots, bad decisions, turnovers, you know, and they started the game. He said, we, we, we started the game with a lot of turnovers. We ended it with a lot of turnovers for the most part in the middle, but didn't really have a lot of turnovers. That's just what you're going to get with a freshman point guard. I don't know. And why do you have any any final rants? I feel like you've been pretty good today. There was a couple things I wanted to ask Marcus that maybe you don't necessarily want to be around for unless you want to partake in some in some inside stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, I, <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's how are we defining success this season? We've talked about this a number of times, and it's um in those areas where we have done poorly in the last few years, can we show progress? Because we have different rosters, different players. And, you know, I I get that given the current roster, we're relatively young and it's going to be hard for us to expect going to the tournament this year. And that's fine. But every single year in the last five years, um, it predates the Ewing era. Our defense has not been great. Um, our, our, we haven't had much of an offensive system. Uh, the speed of our offense has led to a lot of turnovers and it just looks like we're sort of out of sorts. And so so what what grade are we getting for this curved, you know, you know, the curve that, that you're trying to grade on? 
Well, I mean, I, I think we have to look wait till the end of the season. But at the end of the day, is where where are we on defense? Because I don't really care if you have five star players on defense. It's about effort. It's about your system. It's about coaching. It's you know, it's all of that. I think we we entered today ninth in terms of defensive scoring, and we've been historically very bad in the last few years on our, our perimeter defense. And to me, those are the biggest indicators. If we are, again, one of the worst five teams out of our power five conferences in defending the three-point line, that's a coaching problem and not a player problem because our players have been totally different in the last four years. We can't blame that on Jesse Govan or JT3. Um, but, I, I mean, th- those are the sorts of things. I want to see our defense improving. And whether it was good defense or bad shots in the first half, we gave up 20 points against Marquette in the first half, and that's great. But in the second half, they scored 44, and we lost the game. So I, I want to see, see progress on that side. I can accept the Dante Harris turnovers. I can accept um, you know, some of the hiccups we see from, from the young players, including Sibley and Clark and Berger but at, at, and Wahab. But at the end of the day, you know, are we – is the staff learning from some of the mistakes we've made in the last few years? Um, and, that, and that's and that's really it. We're not going to make the tournament this year, but are we improving, I think, our systems, our way of coaching, our, all of those things? Yeah, in, it's incomplete so far. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I was going to want to talk to Marcus a little bit about covering college basketball, not necessarily Georgetown, because I know he's been at games during the pandemic. So I wasn't sure if you wanted to stick around or if you wanted to bid a, a January 2nd adieu. I'm going to listen and agree or disagree with Marcus. <laughs> okay. Marcus. Yeah. So obviously at this time we would have been to a bunch of Georgetown games. We would have been to a bunch of George Mason games. You've been at Maryland. What's, what's, it, what's it been like to cover games right now during this terrible time of the country? It's weird in a sense that there is no crowd. The media, you're so far apart. There's no conversation. You know how it is during the game. You you kind of say some things, especially during timeouts, some of your observations, and no one is speaking to anyone. And now the coaches have gotten smarter. They're not speaking as loud. At first, you could hear everything. Now, nah, you don't necessarily hear everything as they've gotten used to it. And the piped-in noise, I've gotten oblivious to it. The, the first Maryland game I covered, the piped in noise, just like, it bothered me. I was just like, what is this? But now I've gotten so used to it, I just don't, I just don't hear it. But it's just a weird, um, it's a weird experience because, oh. say what you will, in that media room, usually there's some sort of camaraderie, conversations here, conversations there, and you kind of get to know people. And all that is lost so far because you come in, you go right to your seat, and you sit there at University of Maryland, they give you one bottled water and a flip card, and that's about it. You're kind of lonely. So where do you – so, you know, believe it or not, I haven't been – I haven't covered a game there. The, the the one time Georgetown played there, I ended up not getting parking and being pretty upset about it, and I didn't go. And it ended up being a really, a really close game. Um, I think I think that was like a top five Maryland team, and Georgetown hung with them right to the very end. 
where do you guys normally sit and where where like where are you sitting now like what's what's the difference so we normally sit behind the basket where uh Maryland's bench is located and for the most part okay. most of us are still sitting there now what they've done is up on that kind of like that first um that first level they have put some media guys there at half court and so they're up further but they're at half court which usually would have fans there uh the people who are taking the photographers they are kind of all around the arena up in the stands taking their pictures from there so in that sense there is a change we are not allowed to go courtside like generally before a game i would go courtside i'd kind of walk around i'd take some pictures during warm-ups and that sort of stuff none of that's available they have it roped off like you're at some five-star club so you can't go go down there so that's that's also a change but for the most part we're still behind the basket where we usually would be so obviously i really miss it um i have done nats i've done i was gonna say redskins washington football just last weekend i did two wizards games so i've been at games i haven't been college obviously I don't really know what you can tell me what I'm missing. I don't really know what the value is of being there other than you could possibly see something that happens on the bench or you can hear guys or, you know, there's obviously the cameras aren't always on the action and the action could be, you know, a confrontation or, you know, a dust up or what have you. Do you feel like there's a lot of value in being there? Cause I don't, I mean, I really feel, you know, if I was allowed to do a Wizards game from my house, I think I could do the exact same job. No, I think the value has dipped quite a bit. Like you said, you might have a moment where you see something that you wouldn't see if you're sitting at your house. But for the most part, it has dipped. And one of the, the valuable things that I have learned over the years is the conversations that you have and the angles that you have when you speak to people and other media people, maybe they're covering a game from a different aspect and you start talking, it's like, you know what? I never, I never thought about it from that way, or maybe I need to chart that more. It was a conversation um, that had me chart one day, just efficiency out of timeouts when you're running set pieces. And that came from a random conversation. Those things are missing and I do miss it. And to your point, I do think there are certain things that you can probably cover from home uh the one sport and obviously they're not i haven't covered it since the pandemic that i would say that's the biggest impact is boxing there is value even though there's no crowd there is value to still being there that because you're not beholding to the tv camera angles and you do miss things watching on tv as opposed to watching it in person so there is value of being there for that sport but for basketball Kind of to your point, I don't think the value is as big if you miss it to be at home to cover it. Yeah, and I think that there's there's so much to be gained. Like you know, we we became friends. We have a lot of we have a lot of mutual friends. Uh, you get to a game early. You put your stuff down. For Georgetown, particularly, it's very important to walk out to the court and physically see all of the players in their uniforms because so often 
somebody's in a walking boot, someone's in a suit, you know, someone's not there. Um, but while you're doing that, you're having side conversations, you're catching up with people, you're meeting people. Um, for the professional sports, you get locker room access, which means on these Zooms, as you know, it's just the questions. Now for Georgetown, it would be the same thing, but that's not true for the opposing team. A lot of times when I do associated press coverage for Georgetown and I have to cover the opposing team that's ranked, sometimes they open their locker room. Sometimes they make the kids available outside their locker room and you can ask questions in a you know two-on-one, sometimes even a one-on-one setting that you're not really getting in the Zoom. Um, I know the other day, if it had been a normal media availability, I'm not sure if you were, were you on on Friday morning? No, I was not. Okay, so... Let me just tell you, because of Georgetown, where they are right now and where we think they're probably going to end up, you know, it's one thing if we want to get up here once a week and talk about three-point defense, okay, maybe, you know, a bunch of nerds are going to listen and that's fine. But I don't think asking Patrick Ewing the same question every week is bearing a lot of fruit. Mm -hmm. So I came with, because I think that when, when you're not winning on the court, one of the things a program can do that's going to help the fans that are still sticking around is to learn about the people because the wins aren't there, but if you get, you get to learn about the people and that's who you're rooting for. They're not just basketball players or basketball coaches. They're people. They just happen to be really famous and really good at a particular thing that, you know, people are interested in. Um, so I said, you know, what has been going on since you last had a game? It had been, I think 10 days. Uh, um, you know, what did the kids get to do over Christmas? And, you know, then he mentioned some of the families came in. He said that he had people over to his house. So my follow-up question, I wasn't trying to be silly or kooky was, you know, is you had him over for Christmas dinner. Do you have like a, do you have like a, you know, a dish that you like to serve or something? Just, just thinking that he might go and say, oh, you know, um, you know, a family, as a family, we've always had lamb and we do it this way. And, you know, just trying to get some sort of color, some sort of story out of them. Um, he mentioned that it was, you know, between Jamaican and American cuisine. He he could have said, you know what? I put my son in charge of the groceries, and he bought the st- wrong stuff. He's a knucklehead, and uh, we had it. We had to get it catered. You know, I mean, like there was. I, I thought that there was a chance for something that might be interesting and lighthearted, and you know, Georgetown fans might find interesting. Um, but you know, I think if it would have been in a media session a media availability session in Thompson center, there's a chance for more follow-ups and maybe he would have opened up a little more, but in that weird zoom setting, I feel like it's just kind of, it's just kind of lost. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it does seem rather restrictive and I always feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it just seems like it lasts shorter. And a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're right. It does become a little less uh, personal when we're all sitting at, at the the round tables, it again it seems more relaxed and everyone's relaxed. Zoom settings now because how it's used throughout the country, it's almost like it's it's an extension of a business meeting, and people act in that sort of fashion. And I think that's what has happened, and probably what happened to you on Friday is all right. We're on a Zoom meeting. We're going to be Mr. Meeting Guy as opposed to hey, we're sitting down having a conversation and everyone's kind of jumping in and there's some laughing and those sort of things. So yeah, you, you sort of miss out on that. But I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. And this is not, this is nothing to say about Georgetown's current group of everyone involved, staff, the people. But I think 
and obviously the world's different with social media, but I think that when you're a program that's down and likely this is a down season, I think for too long, and I haven't read I Come as a Shadow yet, which I know is going to be really good. And I know that people have told me about there's, you know, John Thompson explained why he did things the way he did. And to an extent, the school still operates that way for basketball. But I think it's really important when you've been down for a couple of years like this to sell the people. It's because it's not the winning because the winning's not there. It's the people, you know, does Jamarco play the piano? Uh, you know, is Javon, you know, fluent in Japanese? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what those stories are. Right. I know that there are stories like that. And I think it's hard to get them out right now. Yeah, there certainly uh, could be avenues and things that the university could do that could help out on that. And I don't want to use the word paranoia because I think it's just been overused, but just the idea of being able to control the narrative when you've done it for so many years, sometimes it's just hard to let go of that. And, and, and hopefully over time, they will let go of that and allow you to get to know some of these guys a little bit more individually. I know for me, I would like to hear the players uh, open up a little more when, when they're in their meetings and, be able to kind of talk about themselves and not be as robotic. Again, I understand the reasons why, because we just live in a social media era where wrong things get said now, instead of it being contained to 12 people, it gets on social media. Now it's out of control. A lot of times you don't even know what the context is that it's said in, but I would like to see just the university as a whole, just open up a bit and just be a little bit more uh, inviting and personal. Yeah. So I just want to let you know, and for the people listening, if you hear some of these questions that are, you think are silly, they're not. I just think that it's important while the losses probably stack up that these players that are working really, really hard between school and basketball. And Oh, by the way, the pandemic and all the restrictions that come with that, I think it's really important to try and get to know a little bit more. And, you know, it's, 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 we're, we get Ewing more often. So that's why I wanted to try and start there. But I do think that, I do think that when the winning isn't there, the next, the next story is the people and getting to know and like the people. And, you know, we're going to get the seniors, most of them, because they're on their way out. Um, So you can tell me if, uh, if my questions are stupid or not. I wanted to ask you a couple things before you left and we'll definitely have to have you on again. I've enjoyed it. Um, some quick hitters here. I asked this, I had the, one of the Marquette beat reporters on last week. You've been doing this for a while now. Who's, who's the best quote among the Big East coaches? Hey, Cooley. Ah, that's what he said. I, I don't disagree. I guess just recently <laughs> I've been a Kevin Willard guy, but yeah. Ah. Cooley is great, man. He's the one coach, you know, the old question, who would you like to have a beer with? Man, he's just one of those guys I feel like I would still be there 4 o'clock in the morning and not even know what time it was because it would be so entertaining. Do you have anything specific that you can remember? I I have one that I I can think of. Not anything really uh, specific. He's just one of those guys who are so quick-witted that, you know, you just always want to be around him. And he's very inviting. Yeah. I think it was one of the years Otto was there. And so Ed was kind of maybe new 
at uh, Providence. Let me just make sure that I'm not making this up. Cooley was there. Yeah, Cooley was there both of both of Otto's years. Okay, yeah, and th- th- those were his his first two years after coming over from Fairfield. <sighs> they lost a close game. It was I think it was one of those years where Georgetown was beaten. Unlike like like earlier, I said this team doesn't win low scoring games. Well, that team all they did was win low scoring games, like forty eight to forty, and you know crap like that. And uh, he came in. He was really pissed, and he was like, you know, we got this five hundred thousand dollar editing machine, and shit's not working and we can't you know he was just like so pissed and it was just like oh man and that was like right when i first started doing it so i didn't know that that's what it got like um and at that time and at that time though for ed cooley you had a conference with because when i started calhoun was still doing it you had you know patino you had Bayheim. um who else am i forgetting that's memorable uh i guess jamie dixon was a pretty big deal for a while right so at that mm-hmm. time, it was a real crowded room. If I'd asked that question a couple years ago, there's just so many options. I mean, obviously, depending on your opinion of Bayheim, he's he's interesting. Oh, Huggins was part of. I mean, you had. I mean, Jesus, what a what a conference! <laughs> what, what a conference! <laughs> um, a lot of talk about the uniforms. What what what's your favorite Hoya uniform? Ooh, you know what? I'm sort of partial to the white ones that they wore in the early 1980s. Okay. I like, I like those. I like those even more uh, than some of, some of the recent ones. I mean, maybe because of my age, but those seem to have um, a special touch with me because obviously it's when I first started watching it. My family um, were big Georgetown fans, obviously because they're local and, and some of the social ramifications to having Thompson the second as the coach. Um, I'll be honest with you, as a kid, because of the ACC game of the week, um, I always like to watch North Carolina. But um, that is that early white jersey is, is what I remember seeing as a kid. So it's always had a special place. Yeah, I think the Iverson uniforms are probably the best, and I think it does it, there there is an association of where you were, you know, what your what where you were in your life when you started. And for me, I kind of got on right as Georgetown was taking a little bit of a dip. I started following them that that Elite Eight year of '89, which was just an incredible year. And um, they, you know, they kind of hovered around the NCAA tournament the next couple of years, winning a game, going out. And then, but when Iverson got there, it kind of made it a whole different ball game. So those uniforms are near and dear to my heart. Um, so you didn't say title blue. What's your opinion? Because I've made this an issue among Georgetown Twitterverse. The title blue, I know that there's variations. Some people say aqua. I, I believe from Georgetown, I've been told that the current color is title blue, whatever that means. I accept it. I like it. Do you have an opinion? Awesome. You hate it. It doesn't matter. I like it as long nice. as it's not frequent. That's yeah, where I of stand course. on yeah. it. I like it as long as it's not frequent. But no, I have absolutely nothing to, against it at all. In fact, it's a nice mix in, to be honest with you. It pops. Yeah. It pops. I think my problem with the white uniforms, which is weird, is that it seemed like they started wearing them a lot at the end of John Thompson and then a lot of Eshrick. And in my brain, that's not a great period. But 
if you've ever listened to these podcasts, we did a lot of stuff over the summer of the brackets. And because of the current run, or I'd say lack of a run, the current just what Georgetown's been the last few years, the Eshrick era wasn't that bad. They went to an NIT no. final. They went to a Sweet 16. I, I, I as, a, as someone that was just getting into college, in my brain, it's just terrible, period. And it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Everything is relative. And I think, and you've brought this up before, I think that um, sometimes when you're reflective on things, you have a greater appreciation. I know you've spoken that way with John Thompson III, and when we look back at his era, almost a rearview mirror, it probably wasn't as appreciated as um, it should have been. And I think now there's this growing appreciation with, hey, that wasn't so bad, you know, um, and probably the same thing with Esherick, but definitely with JT3, when you look back, you're like, wow, he, he did a really good job here. Yeah, I feel good about that because I was all in. I had just gotten out of college, and it was Eshrick's last year, and I got season tickets, and then he got fired, and JT3 got there. And it was a time in my life where I had money for the first time. Um, I didn't really have any commitments, and I, I went all over the country watching them. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. in that moment, I was feeling pretty good about it, and uh, you know, the way things went. I didn't necessarily agree with them. If whoever's listening still, they they know that that's my stance. So this is not this mm-hmm. is not breaking any news. But uh, I do feel like I got my money's worth during that. I did some stuff that I would never do. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I know they lost to Ohio, but I woke up at like four o'clock in Arlington and drove to Providence. Like I would never in a million years do that. You know what I mean? Um, right. So, and it was obviously, it was a really tough day and I drove back home the next day. It was a total bummer, but, uh, but yes, I definitely have, I I feel like I got, I got it out of that. And you know, I almost even, yeah. Okay. So I know you have a kid Christmas present that your kid received that you're kind of jealous of. Ooh, that's a good question. (laughs) He got a new um, gaming laptop and which okay. only means you know the processor and the um the graphics card is is really really souped up and he got it and you know because the other industry i i work in i'm like wow that that's pretty darn good you yeah. know at the age of 14 i certainly wouldn't have gotten it and i had a father who worked for ibm <laughs> so yeah. um but yeah th- probably that were you the one that got it for him yeah, it was a collaborative effort. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you know, but I was. Yes. Oh. I I was asked this question, and my my kid's still too young, and the answer is he didn't get one yet. You know, like mm-hmm. maybe there's like this one like race car thing. I guess is kind of cool for a couple a couple seconds, but I'm 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 not I'm not jealous of it. I mean, come on, let's be, let's be serious here. Um, we'll bring it back to basketball, and then we will we will we will wrap it up here. We haven't had you on yet. What were your, and obviously you have the chance to kind of fudge it here a little bit. What were your predictions for them coming into the season? I honestly thought that they would be, they would find some way to be middle of the pack to just below the middle of the pack. I didn't necessarily believe that they would be last place 
um, for two reasons. One, I thought there were some other teams in the Big East that also had flaws. And then I thought to myself, well, they do have experience. And that could work in their favor with the circumstances we've had without a typical offseason and, and all those sort of things. I said, ah, you know what? They could sneak out some games that you wouldn't think on paper that they could win just based on their experience. But what I found out since the season started is that at least their experience um, hasn't necessarily been uh, transferable to wins. And to be fair, Georgetown's not the only team, because if you look down in Chapel Hill, they've lost some games, and they talk about the young guys on that team, but they've lost some games because their veterans have done boneheaded things. So it's just that hasn't worked out quite the way I thought it was going to work out. So did you have like, so basically they were supposed to play 25 games, 20 of those in the Big East, I believe. I didn't have them losing the Navy, although I thought UMBC might play it closer than they did. So I basically had them going three and two in the conference and then five and 15. So I, I had them going like eight and 17 is kind of what I thought. And it's crazy because we saw it just for college football. We're going to see it for basketball. We're seeing teams with a record. It's basically like going out without your makeup on, you know, because, mm-hmm. yeah. and the make, the makeup is playing your, you know, playing, you know, like Georgetown in a bad season or what they'll play like five or six MEAC schools. Right. Right. And you don't get to do that this year, you know? So instead of being eight and 17, that season is more like, you know, 15 and 17 or 14 and 17, where eight and 17 looks like, damn, that's terrible. But it's really, you know, you play 20 conference games, you know, you're picked to be 11th, you know, it's going to be hard to pile up wins. So the record sounds maybe, you know, you are what your record is, but the record to me sounds way worse than it's just, it's just going to be an unusual way to look at a team because we're used to seeing it with the makeup on. Yeah. And you know what, again, if, if it does end up being eight and 17, what sort of eight and 17 was it? Is it an eight and 17 where you know that you found some things that with experience you can build upon next season, or is it an eight and 17 where, you know what, this season was just a, a bomb, terrible season. So every eight and 17 isn't necessarily uh, made the same. If you had to venture to guess, what eight and 17 do you think this is going to end up being? I, if you look at today's box score, Hmm. the fact that Kobe Clark played two minutes, just, I don't understand it. If, you know, I'm just using this as like one small point to make a larger point, but okay. Jamari Sibley plays eight minutes, you know, uh, TJ Berger plays nine. Why didn't you start one of them? If they were actually part of your plans, I just don't, I just, I just, like I said, it's a small thing and you know, who knows, but I used to work at a small company and the owner and the son worked there and he'd always be running around saying, dad, I want to see a plan. I want to see a plan. And I feel like that a little bit, like what's the plan. And when I see things like that tonight, is that really a plan? How could that be the plan to start a guy, play him two minutes so he doesn't play again. And he's one of the guys, what like, like, like you said, if you go all out this year with, you know, you, 
you know, using up all your Blair, using up all your picket, using up all your carry. Well, those guys aren't going to be on team next year. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that scares me out of this season is when it's over and you start building for next year, you sit back and you turn around and say, dadgummit, we should be further ahead than what we are. And I wish I could go back and redistribute those minutes again, not 35 minutes for them, but no. ease them in. I think this is the year where you get the mulligan. This is a year where everyone says, oh, you know, you got on campus later than everyone else. You started later than everyone else. We can understand why it is what it is, but you got to take advantage of that and understand, uh, you know, kind of what's the tenor in the room and use that to your advantage. I haven't seen it used to their advantage. Well, I mean, if you're Georgetown or if you're any school that's in the situation that Georgetown's in, you just had a mass exodus. You have so many new pieces, all these things. If there was ever a season for the conditions to be like they are, this is the season you would want it to be in, right? There's people aren't, you know, I'm not suggesting what fans are going to do at the games, but I've seen the fans get upset at coaches in the past. The last two coaches at the school, you know, I've seen, you know what I mean? I'm not suggesting they're about to turn on, you know, the legend. And I'm not necessarily saying it's all his fault, but you know what I mean? Like in this closed environment, you know, there's no media there. There's no fans there. This is the in, this is the completely experimental. If you're going to bottom out, this is the year you'd want it to be in. You don't want to be a team that might win it all. What if they don't even have a tournament? You know what I mean? Right. Like look at look at look at Maryland last year. They might have gone to the yeah. Final Four. We have no idea. It, it's it's terrible, yeah. right? But if you're going to bottom out, this is the year you want it to be. Oh yeah, that was the pandemic year. They had all these new players. They just you know, no one's going to look back and care. Yeah, I think think that is a little bit of the part. Like, I'm not suggesting that they just give up on, you know, the seniors because they've earned it, particularly the ones that have been here for four years. But Mm -hmm. I do think that when I, like I said, I'll go back to it. When I look back at the box score, I say, okay, Kobe Clark starts. Okay. For whatever reason, we have no idea. I I think I made the joke on Twitter. We'll find out in a couple years when Javon Blair goes on dog talk with Chris Wright and Austin Freeman, and he'll tell him about the one time he didn't start as a senior because, I don't know, he was late to the team bus or who the heck knows, right? Whatever. Um, right. You know, those kids deserve it. They've put everything on it for, for Patrick and for Georgetown for four years, and they deserve to be getting their fair share of everything that's happening. But, you know, I think, and I think, I think Jamarco tonight is a perfect example, 28 minutes, you know, you're a senior, you're struggling. They need him to be successful, but it's not like he played 38 minutes. You know? Right. Um, but yeah, I think a little bit more and I, you know, to be fair, we saw a lot more Sibley tonight and that's what everybody wanted because he had the four star by his name, even though I'm going to be honest, mm-hmm. I never saw him play in high school at all. So I don't know what was, you know, coming in. Um, but yeah, and I don't think we're going to get a chance unless I know you're, you're a big, big East tournament guy. So am I, I don't, I don't think that's going to be open to us. I have, I have no idea, but my guess is that that's not going to be available and even if it yeah. is what you want to would you want it i don't think you'd be getting out of it what you want because for georgetown particularly that's like one of the two times a year that you might be able to get into a locker room and that's not going to happen right no and and that's the thing and i've contemplated that if there are conference tournaments um do i attend them this year because again what you just said there's no um there's no locker room access so do I go all the way to New York or wherever the Big Ten tournament is this year 
And then the question is, for what? Yeah. And, and so that's a legitimate point. Yeah, and, and if it's not safe to go out after the game, you know, have a drink, talk yeah. about what you just saw. Like, what's what? I mean, what what are you doing? Right, exactly. There is their part. I've seen, thanks to the Biggie Sermon, I mean, we we traveled to New York frequent for, for various reasons anyway, but I think I've had more uh, fun and more of an entertaining time traveling there because of the Big East tournament, because the people I've met, because the ability of what you just said, just to hang out and have a drink after 12 hours worth of basketball, 14 hours worth of basketball. It's a lot. It's the underrated part of covering a conference or an NCAA tournament. Yeah. It's the people that, you know, and it's the other, you know, you'd be sitting there and like, oh, here come the Providence reporters. You know, here's uh, Kevin McNamara. You know, here's here's some guys that that you know and get a, get a sense for what for what they think, what they know, what they're hearing. It's just you know, it's it's like any it's like any conference, like whatever industry you're in. There's usually at some point like a get together, and yeah, there's just there's just a lot to be in it. But um, I think that's probably going to be good for tonight. You want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I. I... As I always tell people all the time, I probably tweet like a teenager uh, as far as the number of tweets I have. But I'm at MTC with Mook. Uh, find me there. That's where you can find all my work, all the things that I do. And I'm I'm on frequently. And if you tweet me, unless you're out and out rude, um, <laughs> generally, if you ask me a question or have an opinion, I tweet back, which is what it, it's more than what I can say for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I try. I I try and avoid some people just because I know, I know that I'm willing to engage sometimes, which isn't a great look because the receipts the mm-hmm. receipts are always there. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, Marcus, I'm definitely going to have you back, and we should have had you on sooner. I think I've tried a couple times, but everyone's so yeah. busy. But uh, it was great talking to you, and uh, hopefully, we can get you on here after a Hoyas win. Awesome. All right, everybody, if you haven't subscribed, go to Kente Corner. Find us on Google, Spotify. Most people listen on Apple Music, some even their watches, based on the information I get. But go find us. If you subscribe, that's incredible. If you rate us, that's good, too. And if you have anything that I'm missing, anything I need to talk about, hit me up at Bobby Bancroft. You can tweet me. The DMs are open. But Twitter is also cool as well. I'll see you.